You're listening to the one and only Real 45 Podcast. We talk about life, racing, and getting sideways. Hey, every day is a new day. How hard can it be? And now, your hosts are in the building, Greg Hancock and Stephen Junell. Welcome back to the Real 45 Podcast. I'm Greg Hancock, your host again today, and uh, this is our episode number 69. It's uh, pretty cool. Things are really moving along, and uh, it's been interesting days. We all know that it's been uh, some tough times, and uh, everyone's trying to deal with life as usual, but the good thing is right now that we are seeing life returning back to kind of a new normal, and it's opening up a little bit more got to keep keep in mind that we've got to have all the social distancing and and remember that everybody's got to have uh you know little respect and the health and well-being of of uh the population is important so it's good speedway's back on the map again polar speedway has kicked off which is great and at the moment you know obviously there's no fans but it's still a, a really good uh positive move for for the sport and events all around so Right now, we don't know the full extent of the Speedway Grand Prix or the British League. Even the Danish League is, I think, they're going to start up, but it's going to be some interesting moves ahead. So today, we will find out more from my guest about the Swedish League. Got a former rider, but also a guy who's going to tell us what's been up and how things are looking, and and, uh, hopefully we'll get some ideas about the, the future of that as well. So this guy, I'm really excited to have this guest. He's he uh, he's a, he's a former competitor of mine. He's a former international speedway rider and a, a large member of the Swedish speedway team, especially when they finished third in 1988-1989 World Team Cup Finals. He was runner-up for the Swedish Under-21 Championship in 1984 and 1985. Then again, in 1986, he finished runner-up in the World Under-21 Championship despite a suffering. A, so that will be interesting to hear. He was so close on his own right there, and uh, must have been must have been an awful situation. But it'd be fun to hear his his uh, version of it. So then again, 1988, he was uh, played a major role for winning the Swedish championship for Bisana, his his uh, home team on Gotland in Sweden. And then um, in the same year, he became the Swedish pairs champion together with former world champion Perry Jonsson. Followed it up in 1991, again with Dennis Lofqvist, who's also a rider from, from Gotland, from that island. So that must have been a, a, good, uh, a good title for them as well. In 1989, this guy also became the only Swedish rider to qualify for the world championship, the world final in Munich. And he finished in eighth place that year. Today, he's the general manager manager for track racing at Svamo. He's also been a race director for the FIM. And I'm really excited to welcome Tony Olson to the Real 45 podcast. How are you doing, Tony? Thank you very much, Greg. I'm doing fine, thanks. That was kind of a long introduction, maybe. But boy, you've got, a, you've got quite a, a long, you've had a, a pretty long career as well. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's fun to look back and actually see how much you did in the sport. Well, obviously, I've been uh, quite lucky in the sense that I've been able to to continue in the sport uh, even after my uh, my racing career. So, uh, yeah, it still goes on today, from when it started well, sometime in eighty 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 one or something like that. 
is that when you actually started 1981? Yeah, 79 I started on the on the 50cc bikes um or 78 actually. Uh but 79 was my first year in competition uh on the old 50cc uh racing for Ernana from Mariestad uh because we had no track on Gotland at that time, uh, a junior track. So uh but 1980 19- 1980 was the first uh, the first year we had a, a junior track on Gotland, so that's when it all so began. You, okay, so then you had to travel, you had to you had to ferry across to the mainland there uh, in order just to go ride speedway. You couldn't even do it in your own home, every, your home island. Every home meeting, every away meeting was a ferry of a, 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 a then six hour journey on the ferry. Now it's only three three fifteen, but uh, in them days it was a bit longer, one way. <laughs> oh man! This is your parents that your dad taking you, or yeah, yeah, he was a dedicated uh, follower. Wow! Wow! Did you have any brothers or sisters? Uh, I got I got two sisters uh, who are were both interested in speedway, but never raced at all. But obviously had to tag along <laughs> because the brother had to go racing. No kid. Yeah. That sounds like my sister. <laughs> <laughs> my brother, my brother and I were racing and my sister just tagged along and she's still the biggest supporter and never, not that I know it really ever complained. She just, she was just a part of the, a part of the gig with us. And uh, we're pretty, pretty thankful for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the same with me and, uh, and my sisters, to be honest. Are you pretty close with your sisters even today? Yeah, we are very close. Uh, one, uh, my my, they're both younger than me. One is two year two years younger, and one is nine years younger. The one that is two years younger is actually married to a former speedway rider on Gotland, uh, Kitte Hultgren. So uh, we oh, we really? do spend a lot of time together and uh, discuss a lot. <laughs> right? Do they still live on Gotland too, or? Yeah. Live in Visby, live in Visby. Right, uh, and then your other sister as well. Is she living there? Or did she move away anywhere? Oh no, she lives in, uh, in Visby as well. Uh, so uh, they are they both on the island. Hey, that's that's pretty cool that you guys have all managed uh, or maintained a life on on Gotland too. How how many people live on Gotland today? Uh, nearly sixty thousand uh, permanently. Um, but obviously, in the summer, there will be uh, a lot more because of the holiday makers. Uh, it's a lot of people that have summer houses on Gotland. Uh, obviously, there is a lot of camping places and stuff on there. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say that during this sum- a normal summer, uh, it would probably travel. Uh, so, yeah. Wow. So... The you are you're married and you got two boys, correct? That's right. Yes. How old are your boys now? The boys are twenty-seven and twenty-three. Twenty-seven and twenty-three. Are any of them living on the island still too, or are they have they gone and done other things? They they actually both on mainland. Uh, they moved away to study, uh, and then. Once they finished their schools, they actually both got jobs uh, on the island. 
One is in, they're both in Småland. Uh, one is in Kalmar, okay. works on the radio station. Uh, right. And the younger one, he's he's uh, in sports. Uh, he works for the local handball federation uh, in Beckwe. Really? No yeah. kidding. Yeah. So. Uh, and you That's and cool. you will remember the oldest one when he was about four or five years skidding around in uh, <laughs> in Gallibariet. <laughs> yes, I do. And he always used to come up and and had the biggest smile on his face and it was always so approachable and talkative you know and and wanted to say hi it was it, i i can still see his face now you know <laughs> he had a big smile on his face because he wanted to take after you yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad that he chose something a little hopefully a little less um <laughs> a little less i don't want to say dangerous but, but um yeah explosive <laughs> Yeah, no, he was uh, he was pretty. He knew pretty well when he finished the local school on Gotland. He knew he wanted want to be a journalist, and uh, he went to Kalmar for three years and he studied. Uh, and he came back to Gotland. He worked for the local paper uh, mm-hmm. for a year or so, and then um, he applied for a job in uh, on a radio station in Kalmar, and he got it. And then. Uh, now he works for the Swedish radio in P4, which is the biggest uh, you can do in in Sweden. Uh, obviously, he works on local in in Kalmar, but it's and he's full time there. So uh, yeah, it works good. He really he was set on what he wanted to do, and he achieved it. So we're pretty pleased for him for that. Oh man, he should be pleased too, right? He is, yeah, for sure. That's super cool. And you got to be you got to be special to do that kind of stuff, you know, to be able to maintain a conversations and you know you're 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 working against a lot of uh, a lot of things at the same time it's not just like having a normal face-to-face conversation you've got you got a lot going on and you gotta be prepared and be quick and have your facts and everything right yeah for sure for sure but uh, now he enjoys it and i think uh, it sounds like they are pretty happy with him so uh, i hope he will have a long long career there that's fantastic so for you then going back, what what got you into Speedway? How come how come you didn't do something different? Uh, I think it was mainly my dad. You know, he was really he never raced himself. Uh, I don't. I think he would have liked to, but there was never enough money to to do that kind of stuff at that time. Uh, but he went always went to watch uh, Busan, obviously the the local team on the island, and uh, yeah. I kept following as uh, soon as I could could walk um, and then obviously at the end of the seven yeah around 77 I think 78 uh, one of the motor clubs uh, in town put an ad in the paper they wanted to start up Speedway um, so they asked you know if there was anyone interesting we would come along to a meeting uh, so my, me and my dad went there we'd I don't know, five, six, seven other dads and their sons. Uh, and and from there, it just grew. They got together. They started building their own frames uh, with a local uh, manufacturer in town. They ordered some engines and they got the bikes built. And yeah, that's how we started. And they built a little track out by the go-kart uh, track. Um, it was only 
120 meters. No fence, nothing, just a circle. <laughs> and that's where we uh, wow. sort of started going around. Wow, that's that was neat. And was that close? You guys had the, the 500 track was there at that time too? Or yeah, the 500 track was already in place. Uh, but this little track uh, was built in a, in a different part of, of town uh, just by the by the go-kart uh, yeah and then obviously <clears throat> once the once we started going more frequently to to practice there they started building the 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 oval inside the normal speedway track uh, but of course that took most of the 1979 season uh, that's why me and another rider from Gotland uh, rode for uh, uh, Ernana in Mariestad. Uh, yes. And then from 1980, we had our own team in the in the 50cc league. Right. So, that was boy. That must have been an interesting time, though, right? So coming coming through, there was a lot of riders. You guys had, a, I mean, a heck of a a youth program back then too. So you're born, you're born in 65. So you're like five years older than me. So what are you, are you 55, 55 now? Uh, March this year. Yeah. 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 Right. Gotcha. So looking back there, so, I mean, you were, you were together with, must've been with Pear and Jimmy. And... Yeah. Yeah. We did the, we did the 50 CC together. Uh, Peter and Arlene, he was a young boy then. I mean, we were obviously 13, 14 at that stage. Uh, Arlene was a young 12-year-old. <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> so. And then you must have also rode with my with uh, Roger. Yeah, Logan, yeah, that's that? right. Yeah. A little bit yeah. too, yeah, because he, he was, yeah, we, we all, we had some Yeah, he was part of that era. Man, what a what a what a cool period though, you know. It's uh, it's it's in, it's fun because when when um, I got to know you guys a little later later in your careers, of course. But you and Pear, you guys were always like the for me were the quiet guys. You didn't say a lot, but so so effective on the track. And I was used to try to figure out like, are these guys really nice guys because they don't they don't talk too much, <laughs> and uh, you know the look on the face. And then it once I once I finally started to talk more with you and and obviously i, I talked with pear quite a lot too during some a uh, little bit later years and i realized that man he what a cool guy he just it's just don't judge a book by the cover. <laughs> uh well we we didn't talk like the americans but <laughs> we we uh <laughs> that's not a bad thing <laughs> i think first it was mainly because obviously we came to a different country, even though we learned English in school uh, and we did speak English pretty good. You wasn't 100% sure all the time. So, um, but you're right, you know, we we were pr probably a bit more on the on the quiet side. Uh, but obviously, you more you, you get to know people and you, you uh, it's easier to talk and uh, uh, no, no, but it was uh, it was good. It was good time. Count, I mean, like you say, there, like your career, you, you, you obviously you raced for for oh, no, no, there a little bit, and then you came, then you went into the uh, your career with uh, Bisana mm. um, on, on the five hundreds. Yeah. So, 
going there and then making what you what year did you go to the UK? What was your first year racing? I, for, I for came Reading? to Reading at 86. the end of '86, um, and that was that was the end of the year. Or you had on the introduction there when I got second in the World Under Twenty One Championship, and I think that was probably uh, one one big part of it. Uh, plus that I had uh, been on the rostrum for the previous two Swedish junior championships. So obviously I was I was more or less next in line after Per and Jimmy uh, to go to England if a Swedish rider was going there. But you can never count on it. Um, so I had a, I had opportunity to come to Reading at the end of uh, the season, 1986, uh, which was a big step for uh, for somebody coming from a little island in the middle of Baltic Sea. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine. I, you know, like you said, you, you, you obviously probably learned some English in school so you could speak English. Um, but still going there and, and then, then it was all English, right? Unless you were with your, your fellow Swedish nationals, you know, and, and the team or whatever. But what a, that must be an island. It was. Uh, and of course, at that time, Jan Andersson was uh, the big superstar in, in Sweden, uh, in Speedway. Uh, and he obviously rode for Reading at the time, and he was part of getting me to Reading. And I stayed with him for the for the last few months that I was over there in, uh, in 86. Uh, so that was also a big... Uh, a big part of your life, you know. You've been watching him on the on the speedway, and he was really good. And he's done many world finals. And then all of a sudden, you you you're sleeping in his spare bedroom. How? Yeah, <laughs> there you go, right? That, so you're 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 like starstruck as you're going with the, one of the big guys, and then suddenly you're sleeping in his place, going. Wow! Yeah, in a completely new country, and you you know you really want to learn everything, and you want to learn it quick, and you want to be good. And uh, it was so many things that happening in just the, the the last two three months of the year that it was unbelievable. Um, but then obviously I was lucky enough to come back uh, for a full year in '87, uh, which was uh, which was really good. No kidding. So you, I mean, I can compare it a little bit with myself going to live my first year in the UK living with Lance King. So he was a big hero for me uh, at that stage too. And then living in another country. So looking at, hearing what you're saying through your eyes, that must have been such a, a, a lifting moment, right? And that Jan, as we all know him, another quiet guy, didn't, didn't, didn't say much, even up until these the last few years when uh, he's been such a uh, one of the, the best engine tuners on the mm. circuit. Um, and I was lucky enough to get to be able to use his stuff and winning a, a championship with his motors too. And like to have lived there with a guy like that, it was just pure. I mean, that's just pure knowledge all around. Oh, he was, uh, he was really, really good way to get partly introduced to, to obviously the racing part in England and, and what's going on in between. And he was such a dedicated, I mean, he did all his own stuff uh, then as well. Uh, and, and I, uh, you know, his yeah. dedication with his engines uh, between meetings and stuff like that, it was, it was, he was pure professional. 
uh, for sure. It was uh, it was a good uh, good introduction to to the for me to the sport in England to to stay with Jan. I learned a lot in the in the few months I was there. Because then, <clears throat> good role model. Yeah. yeah, because then in in when I came back in eighty seven, uh, Jimmy Nielsen had bought a house in Swindon, so me and Per stayed with Jimmy. Uh, so we had uh, we had wow. our own Swedish embassy there, so it was quite good. <laughs> I can imagine that uh, you guys, <laughs> as much hard work as you did, you must have had some fun times too. Yeah, we did. We did. But we don't talk about them in this pod. <laughs> no, 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 no. We never, we never do. We leave that one for um, uh, another mm. quiet moment. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But we we had yeah. a lot of fun, fun in between the 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 hard graft of racing. Oh my gosh! So did you did you learn how to tune your own engines, or did you have guys like Jan or somebody helping you with your motors? At that stage, I I I could I couldn't tune them, but I could at least take the engine apart and you know do some service on them. Um, Jan helped me with some stuff. Uh, Martin Ashby was another guy living in Marlborough outside Swindon, uh, former Swindon rider. Uh, he he had his uh, motorcycle business, so he uh, he helped out with a lot of stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I I could at least uh, take my engines apart and put them back together and still race them. That that was a good thing though, and I mean maybe during that period, of the racing were you racing just in just in the UK and and obviously back in Sweden during the elite yeah, series. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I only so you had you. Yeah, I had. Uh, I know. Obviously, in them days, I didn't have full-time mechanics so i had obviously guys that came with me to help me uh, at the meetings uh, terry broadbank was a big help for me um, for many many years uh, so now yeah so the, all the stuff in between the meetings i i did myself uh, so uh, so two leagues at that time was was quite uh, enough well, yeah, because you were probably doing the better part of 40, 40 races in the UK alone, maybe, or more? Yeah, it's probably between there, 40, 50 uh, in the early days. It was quite a, a lot of a lot of teams, a lot of clubs running. So there was a lot of meetings in England. I mean, that was the period when everyone when everyone was in England. You had to be in England to, to be a, a professional speedway rider, as you remember. That was the place, mm, That was huh? the place to be. Yeah. Yeah, and you had you actually literally you had to yeah. be there. That was, I mean, all the and you know, it, I can imagine you rattling off the list of names of riders in the league at that period. If you if you you know you look at it today and you look at it, what it was then, there there wasn't an easy heat. You know, oh. it was just even even the reserves and everything like that. It was uh, it was so yeah. different, but so competitive. Yeah, you're right. It was. Um... It was, I mean, obviously all the teams had big stars, a uh, couple of heat leaders with, with big names and, and uh, like the second string riders were were not bad either. So it was really competitive and it was, uh, it was like I said earlier, it was a nice 
era so to be in. Uh, and, and it was, like you said, it was the place to be if you wanted to be a professional rider. No doubt, no doubt. The there must have been some, yeah, like you say that the com- the competition level from the British League, and then going was the Swedish Elite Series every Tuesday for you at that time yeah, too. It was, it was. So you had to fly back and yeah. forth. That that was pretty hard because obviously Reading was always Monday night, uh, and then flight out of Heathrow at 6.30, 7 o'clock, Tuesday morning. Uh, so that was always uh, the the backside of racing on a Monday night uh, in England, of course. But uh, after a couple of years, when you get used to it, you make a routine of it and you don't really think about it so much. You just, you just do it. You do it because you love it. <laughs> And you're yeah, and you're young. Yeah, right? and, and you're young. You can you can you can sleep yeah, better for sure. <laughs> did did you ever get to the point of racing in the Polish league? Uh, no, I had a contract with Gorsov. Uh, must have been in early nineties, ninety two, maybe ninety one, ninety two, uh, and I think I did. Oh, I did about two maximum three meetings for them in that year. Um, right. and then no, I, that was it I, 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 I couldn't really do any more because obviously like I said I did everything myself with my with my with my stuff and uh, doing Sweden and England was quite uh, quite enough for me uh, so uh, yeah I never took that step yeah that's you know looking back that's the difference today um, you know these guys even I talked to Wilbur my kid about it and and some of the younger riders that like God, they don't understand or maybe they, they don't need to understand but for us during those periods racing in all those leagues we didn't always have full-time mechanics even even myself coming a little bit later than you you were doing a lot of stuff yourself and you had a guy who came to the races or met you at the races mm-hmm. to help you and then just to get everything set up and race and then help you load up and then he would go home and you would go back to your base and and uh, get up the next morning and start cleaning and, and servicing. Yeah. And, and then it was, you know, mounting tires and all that fun stuff. And, and then you're, then you're back at it again. And then you got to play, you know, like you say, you, maybe you have to take an engine out of your bike after the race on Monday night at Reading and take it with you to Sweden on Tuesday, if you were doing something or um, not everybody had enough equipment at that stage either to be able to have, complete bikes everywhere no that's right uh and, and but i i tried i tried very hard to do that because i never <clears throat> i found out pretty early that bringing bikes and or engines from from england to sweden and vice versa didn't really always work very well uh i don't know why but uh, it was obviously totally different setups and stuff like that and i i struggled with that so if i had my swedish bikes in sweden they worked well and I had my English uh, stuff. Uh, sometimes you had to bring an engine uh, because you run out uh, somewhere. Uh, right. And, and uh, yeah, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But uh, that's the way it was. It was just part of it. Get on with it. The different. There you go, right? The different track conditions and the kinds of tracks you had in the UK versus Sweden. I, I found that myself early on that mm. I got my butt kicked numerous times in Sweden with bringing my British mm. motors because they were not 
they were not built for for the types of sand or or uh, gravel type tracks that you guys would have had compared to the the harder based clay model tracks in the UK. I would just get smoked sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, but it was a big difference in in track surface and of course track shape as well. Uh, so yeah, you're right. It didn't always work. Uh, to bring to bring <clears throat> engines between the two countries. No, for sure. Uh, thinking about your this, uh, I'm curious about this under 21 championship that one in 1986, right? When you were you were your second or runner up. What happened in the the heat that you had the engine failure? Um. Well, the engine just broke. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, so I've I've oh, finished second on twelve points, uh, and uh, I was in the lead in that race, but the engine broke coming out of the first corner, uh, and it was in the same race as the guy that then went on to win the meeting, uh, Igor Marco. This was in uh, in Rovno in uh, in then Russia, which is now in Ukraine. Oh man! So uh, it was a pretty long way home. Uh, <laughs> oh my god after that and it was uh it was um obviously today i feel you know i was second it was okay but uh when you look back i think per Johnson had won it in 84 and jimmy won it in 85 uh and i was nearly winning it in 86 and it was sort of but uh there we go you gotta very right <laughs> what can what you do, can you right? do? And, and... Then you, then you look back and you think, okay, I was in Russia in 1986. <laughs> you know, that was a, that was a different period too. Did somebody sabotage my motor? <laughs> yeah, I don't. When I wasn't looking. I don't think they did, but uh, yeah. We look for all the all the reasons in the world, but what a shame that was. That would have been what uh, quite a, a uh, an era there for Swedish speedway too. The 84, 85, 86 would have been insane, but. To finish runner-up is uh, it doesn't matter, you know. It's it's you were there. Was yeah, great. I was there and thereabouts, and uh, it was uh, it was quite a good uh, good lineup when you look back at it. Uh, so uh, Brian Cargill was third, and I think Stackish was uh, fourth or something. It was some other good riders in it. So uh, yeah. No kidding! Wow, that's. For sure, there's there's some really good names there. In Scan the Scandinavian countries at that period, well, for a lot of these years that I've been in the game, have always been so so successful, whether it be Sweden or Denmark. Uh, maybe the Norwegians were a little bit, you know, come and go. But between you guys and Denmark, it was that was an impressive period, man. Your your teams were insane. But the World Team Cups, you know, you you got to come to. Long Beach too was that in 1980 uh, 88 88 Long Beach yeah you were there too yeah that I, was uh, I remember yeah. I was I was 18 then and uh, I remember watching that and being in the pits and to see all you guys come there for me I, I only ever got to read about you guys and then suddenly you were all here on our on our yeah. turf uh, that was uh, that was an experience 80 88 yeah. so I would have been I would have been 23 years old then. Uh, that was uh, that was uh, that was an experience. We could only bring one bike, no. one one bike each, 
and uh, we had to one box with tools and stuff, uh, one spare wheel. <laughs> so oh my we had to go somewhere in Heathrow and unload this at the depot, and uh, then it was parked in the pits when we got there. So uh, we just had to put it together, and <laughs> yeah, that was a go, go out there and do your that thing. That was a big, uh, big moment. Oh man, I listening to all that stuff and then hearing stories. I mean, Eric Anderson also told me stories about, and I think it was '85, maybe it was the first year when they locked them in. <laughs> they locked the riders in uh, some of the Danish guys in the their changing room. Somebody put a lock on it when they went in there and let him stress for a little while. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, oh my gosh, back in the day, what a, what a hero. And they still, the Danes still came out and kicked our butts anyway. So yeah, they were, they were good. They were good. They were, but so were you guys, you know, looking at that period, there was, there's a lot of really strong names on the paper. So it must be, it must be nice for you to, to know that we were a part of that stuff too. Yeah, but it's nothing you think about at the time, is it? It's like now when you sit back and, uh, you, you know, you look at it and then, oh, yeah, he was in it. That was a, a big name and that was another one. And, you know, you, you sort of come back to Jane had a sort out of all the paper cuttings a few months ago and, you know, put it all into folders and, and stuff. And you, you start looking at it and you say, bloody hell, you know, I... But I was part of that, <laughs> so that it was pretty good. You were, that was a that was a man. You know, for me, that was that was one of the most amazing eras. That you know, coming through the eighties, mm. there was a lot of great speedway, yeah. and um, you know, I learned a lot from a lot of that. Got to, you know, you get you got your motivation, you got your role models, and speedway was so different in the eighties compared to the nineties. It was. Gosh, there were so many guys, so many riders together. The Swedes, the Danes, the Germans, the, you know, the Americans, the Poles. You, you had the Czechs and everybody, even when you went to, to the UK racing, it was like the Swedes had their groups of guys that they would hang out with on specific nights when they're, you know, if everybody might even meet like at Wolverhampton on a Monday night, the Swedish group of riders would hang out there. The Danish group of riders would hang out. The American guys would hang out. And um, it was just, it was, there was meeting points because you could back then. Yeah, yeah. You weren't racing as much. So there were, you had the ability, but everybody was there having a good time. But at the same time, you were watching and learning and seeing who was doing what and picking up points as you went along the way. Uh, what a, yeah, you're, you're in that, for me, you're in that, that era of that amazing period there with all the, you're one of the greats, you know? So it's really fun to have, built the, the friendship, the relationship that you and I have had for all the years and never had any issues. We've always seen eye to eye. And, and even if you had a disagreement about something, it was never something that couldn't be resolved. No, that's right. And uh, so I remember when you came to Cradley, though, I mean, that was a great team as well. Uh, and, and you guys came there and these young Americans coming, you and Billy, and uh, I was, uh, it's good. <laughs> it's good it was good times, you know, and uh, you know, you guys were obviously just a little bit older than us, but still young in your career. And we were just the pumps, yeah. you know, I mean, and they're just trying to figure the it out, and get the slap, 
Yeah, we were at Cotty's. Yeah, and I can't. <laughs> we needed to be tamed. <laughs> I can remember because obviously we, we lived in Swindon, so it wasn't too far. We went to Oxford quite often on a Friday, uh, and it was so nice there with a with a stand on the on the starting gate straight, you know, with a restaurant, and you could sit up there and and have something to eat and watch the the racing, which was always good at Oxford, and obviously they they had Hans and Wiggy and all this guys there and you could you could learn a lot from just sitting up in the in the in the stands and uh, try and uh, bring it all in yeah that's right huh that that was exactly the point it's like going there and even being at wolverhampton on a monday yeah. night and everybody was in the bar you know the wolverhampton or or oxford was fantastic mm. for that like you said there that bar and restaurant facility on the front straightaway was in was insane and um, even if you're if you're just having a coke, or a lot of the guys I remember going, man, a lot of these guys are having a beer. Should I be having a beer? And I, I don't know if I should be drinking a beer. I don't want them to see me drinking a beer, but everybody was drinking a beer, and and, and still trying to watch the race and pick up. I, I didn't want to miss. I never wanted to miss anything. And fans would be talking to you, and all you're trying to do is watch to see what this guy was doing at the start and how he was entering the corner, and and uh, it was such a good time. Even even those the late eighties, early nineties. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you remember the the owner of Reading, uh, Bill Dore. Uh, the, the, I, the, I met yeah, Bill, the but, father uh, of uh, yeah. Pat Bliss. Uh, so right. Because, I only met him once. Yeah, because he was uh, ah, he was a really good uh, good old guy, and uh, he always used to come with Jan to uh, to the away meetings because they didn't live too far from each other. So Jan used to pick him up, and uh-huh. I remember we went to, I think we were in Cradley, actually, uh, and you know what it was like. After a meeting, you had to meet up in the bar before you go home. Uh, so you go in yeah. the bar, and you, <laughs> you know, we come to to England as a young boy, and, you know, they, he asked, what do you want to drink? And I said, well, uh, orange juice and lemonade or Coke or something like that. And he was like, well, we're in England now. I said, yeah, but I'm, I'm a professional <laughs> sportsman, you know. <laughs> I don't do beers. So, uh, but it was really hard. Oh, you have to have a shandy, don't you? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. You have, you to, have to have something <laughs> with beer. In. We're socializing. <laughs> so, yeah, but that was the difference in uh, in um, culture and, uh, you know, you just had to, had to be part of it. You had to mix yeah. with the supporters and, that is so true. Yeah. <laughs> and the bar at Crazy was a little different than the bar in, <laughs> even in Swindon, right? Your bar at Swindon was a little different <laughs> yeah. than the bar at uh, Wolverhampton. Or, or, or that's Oxford. right. That's right. Sometimes I used to walk through the, the floor. You could feel the floor was flexing <laughs> considerably when you walk through the bar and you think, I don't know if I want to jump right here. <laughs> uh, there must have been a lot of beer spilt on the floor. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Uh, and if those if those walls could talk, yeah, yeah, <laughs> good. Oh my gosh. Uh well, I mean, you had you had a lot of years racing for Reading, so you you must be like real estate there, you know. I mean, I, when I think Tony Olson, I I just see the racers emblem on the front of your chest. It's like that. I just automatically assume you and Pear, and then obviously with uh, with. Peter Nolan, I had a lot of good years with him too. I just see the, the Robin on his chest, yeah. you know. So it's it's kind of funny how you 
you designate the rider to the team they were with. But you were with Reading for a long time, and then off and on too later. I, I, yeah, I was. I started off there in, uh, like I said, the end of '86, uh, and I was there until '90. We won the league in 1990, uh, <clears throat> but I had a bad crash at the end of '90 uh, at Cradley, actually guesting for Kingsley. Uh, no, I was guesting for Cradley, but it was against Kingsley. And uh, and I had a bad crash and I broke my my thigh and and my upper arm. This was only I think a couple of days that. before the the world final at Bradford uh, when uh, when Per won it. So um, so yeah, I had a, a long uh, spell off the off the the bikes there, um, and I came back for '91. But of course, very it was decided very late that I could have a that I could race again uh, in March. So I, I, there was no room for me at Reading. So I was actually, I was uh, unknown to Hackney in the, in, the, in the second division, just to get my, uh, get, get oh, back man. to some racing, which was good. And I mean, I came back into it and, you know, scored a few points and uh, obviously that was good for confidence. And, and then I ended up at um, Ipswich for the second half of the season. Uh, mm -hmm. and the following year I started off with Exeter the famous Exeter track also in the second division uh, and then I ended up at Bellevue uh, in Manchester so yeah I had a few different tracks but uh, I belonged to Reading all the time and I spent obviously most of my all my racing career in England uh, at Reading Man, I have to ask you about Exeter. <laughs> we got. They, do you remember the one year they had? Um, they had it all one league, right? So we were we were all racing. I don't remember what year that was. That must have been like ninety. 80, oh. Ninety. They had it only one year. We did it. It was all one league. Ninety-five or ninety-six? Can it be there? It yeah, could be yeah. exactly. It's right around there, some period. We went to Exeter twice that year. And um, I had heard so many stories about that place. And then when I got there and I just went, oh, my gosh, this is this is Exeter. Mm. <laughs> so, being a local hero there for you and in, in that time frame and learning how to ride. And you almost had to you almost had to touch the fence up in the was it the come out of the fourth yeah, corner? Yeah, you had to come in fairly tight uh, on the by the curb coming into the corner. And then you just had to let it drift till the back wheel was almost in the steel fence and then you got a good shoot out down the down the starting gate straight uh, that it was very very special track to race but once you you once you cracked it uh, it was a fantastic home track that's what everybody said and i mean that you could even at the starting line right the people the fans could almost reach over and tap you on yeah. the helmet yeah I remember that it was so close there. You just went like this is when the green light would come on. You look over at the at the starting tapes, and you could see the fans right there, kind of in your face. But <laughs> it was so the, the the first time I went there, obviously as an away rider with Hackney, first of all, uh, I mean I couldn't crack the track either. You know, you just went there, you did what you had to do, and you went home. Uh, 
But once I got the chance to sign for him at the start of 92, and uh, I thought, nah, I don't know. But uh, that's where I ended up. And, yeah, you knew all the away riders came there. Okay, we see this as a one-off. We go there, we do it, and we go home. So, <laughs> so yeah, you could build your confidence in different ways. But, uh, no, nah, it, was, it was really, really good. Uh, and once you crack the racing line, yeah. It was nice. Oh my goodness! Uh, oh yeah, some some good stories, like uh, you say. Those are kind of things that a lot of people don't really know and and never get a chance to hear about. But, I I actually I some... actually broke uh, the track record there. Uh, Scott Autry had it before me for thirteen years. Yeah. Did he really? Uh, and then I broke it, and then obviously I think uh, I think Floram. Uh, uh, and and Screeny was a couple a couple of riders that had it after me, but uh, so yeah. But because it stood for so long, it was quite a big uh, it was quite a big thing then. Um, oh my goodness, how cool! And you know what? To to lose the track record or to to a guy like like Screeny or Lauren, the 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 grass trackers, right? With their yeah, back. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just go, okay, yeah, they, they, were, they were always willing to go the extra mile. Yeah, I didn't feel so bad <laughs> losing to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Not to put it like that. But, oh, my goodness. How crazy, how crazy. The, um, if we go on there and look, think about that, I mean, you, got, you probably have some great stories about all that stuff and then your, your retirement came in in 1997 is that correct was your, your or 86 was it 96 your last year and then 97 you called no it 97 was my last year in england uh and then we we moved then? to sweden then uh, at the end of the season 97 uh that was with swindon mm -hmm. and uh, then i did one more year for my local club uh, busana uh, on the island and my plan was really just, it was to go on for at least two or three years. Uh, but at the end of the season, or halfway through the season, 1998, uh, because you were used to having the racing as your job, that was the only thing you did. Now I went to work, I raced in the evenings. We, we went to... Uh, to an away meeting uh, on mainland. We didn't get back next day or that night. We had to go wait till the next day ferry. So you lose one day, you come home, everything is dirty. You have to start cleaning on top of going to work. Um, so it was like back to, to when I first started racing. So uh, I, um, wow. I, lost, uh, I lost a little bit of enthusiasm. Uh, at that stage, um, and and of course we had two boys that were only four and one, or five and one, um, and I I did some work with my uncle in the uh, excavator business, uh, so yeah that took over and uh, I I called it quit. So then, when when you when you called it a day there, did did you stay working with your uncle in the excavator business, or did you go on to something else? Right? No, away? I stayed. Uh, I stayed on, uh, but of course, already the next year in ninety, 
1999, uh, I was asked to be team manager for the under-21. Uh, and I thought, yeah, it's a nice way to, to stay involved in the sport. Uh, I could combine that sure. with, uh, with working with my uncle. Uh, so I did that for till 2000. Uh, and then Mats Olson, who was then the national team manager, uh, wanted to stop. Uh, so they asked me to, to take over as national uh, team manager, which I did from 2001, uh, and I did that till 2004. Uh, and that was when the when the Speedball World Cup uh, was just starting. So it was quite a nice, nice uh, way to to be part of it as well, uh, of the introduction of the Speedball World Cup. Absolutely right. I mean, and then you had quite a uh, you had quite a, a roster of of riders at that period to play with too, huh? We had some uh, very decent riders to uh, pick from. <laughs> heck, yeah, heck yeah! What a period! So now it was, and Tony was still in his Tony was in his heyday that period too, right? So he was, <laughs> uh, and we ended up during the four years uh, we ended up with two two bronze and two gold medals so yeah it was uh, it was quite we were quite successful which was nice and it was good to be able to to do something uh, outside the, uh, being a rider myself uh, so but like i say we had we had a good good bunch of riders to uh, to pick from for sure yeah, you and you pick them, and you you got to put them together, and you got to get everybody do, working to achieve the same thing, right? Yeah. So that's what if when I when I looked at it, I was like, hey, you were there for were you four years as the the manager for them? Yeah, four years. Yeah, yeah, for the yeah, 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 for yeah. Four years. Two thousand one to two thousand four. So man, God, it must have feel good to get those, like you said, to get the gold titles too, and and the World Cup was still was so new then, and and what a great format i loved it in the beginning too when they did it with when you were in one country for a week um and uh i thought i always thought that was that was a, a good system mm-hmm. and you weren't traveling all over the place everybody could be there and you know if you were in the group one qualifying the the guys who were in the second group would stay there and watch that meeting that that night and then the next day that they kicked yeah. off yeah. and the other groups would come and watch those races and right down to the race off and the final you had a lot of the teams there because they were. You kind of had to camp out for a week, and I, I thought I thought that system was. Strong. It was. It was. It took a lot of organization, of course, but it was. Uh, it was good, and uh, I mean, all the four years that I was involved as a team manager, the the World Cups were all in one country, uh, uh, and when we won it. The first time we won it in two thousand and three uh, in Voyens, uh, or the, the in Denmark. Mm-hmm. The, because our qualification yeah. was in Outrup, uh, and of course we we lost Tony after practice because he uh, he had a bad headache, so he couldn't take part in the meeting. He had migraine, uh, so I mean we were like counted out, but we managed to qualify for the for the race off as a last team, uh, and then we managed to qualify from the race off as the last team, because if you remember, it was five teams in, in the, in the finals then. And it was five, five That's riders right. on the track. And, 
Uh-huh. I'm actually I'm looking at the picture now, and we had we had PK and Michael Max, Andreas Jonsson, Peter Jung, and David Root, and uh, and we managed to uh, to win it. It was fantastic night. It was fantastic. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, yeah, that says everything right yeah. there. And you, those couple of those guys were pretty young. Yeah, oh yeah. Too, I mean, right? and both. I mean, Andreas was young. P, Peter Jung, uh, David. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, PK and Michael Max obviously had some experience. Uh, yeah, but they weren't old. No, nope. no, no. <laughs> And then the following year, the following Gosh. year in in pool, obviously we had Tony back then, and we had Antonio as a young boy, as a new guy in the team. So, <laughs> I was good, good times, fun times. Gosh, yeah, really good times. So after after winning those titles and up through two thousand four, then you did you go on straight into working with track racing with Smilmo at that stage, or did you go because you also were Clark of the course of the FIM for. Was that an 05? I think you, you got that. License. I started uh, working full time for Swimo in 2002. Uh, so, so my second two years as a team manager, I also worked in the in the office uh, with track racing. Oh, okay. So, uh, okay. But by 2004, I, I yeah, I had traveled enough, and I I wanted just to to do the job and uh, mainly office work. Um, but then, like you say, 2004 or five, I took the Clark of the Course course, uh, and I did a couple of meetings. I did uh, Eskilstuna, I did some in Gothenburg, I think, uh, some Grand Prix. And of course, I, when I was team manager, I was still traveling around quite a lot to the, uh, not all the Grand Prix, but most of them. Um, so, um, yeah, so then it started again. Wow, that's yeah, some good times there, too. And then you doing that, then you what brought on the move to become the race director for the for, for the GP? Because that came a little bit that came over oh, 2009. I think you became was the first year you were race director. But what what brought that on? Uh, totally. A phone call totally out of the blue, <laughs> uh, because I was very happy uh, in Swimo. Uh, they had just decided to just not have a committee uh, for track racing in in Swimo anymore. Uh, they were giving all the responsibility to uh, to me, and then I had Pernilla as my assistant. Uh, so we did that in 2000, or the transition was in 2008. Uh, and at the end of that year, uh, I had a phone call from uh, Roy Otto, who was then the track racing uh, uh, chairman in uh, FIM. And he sort of said, uh, well, we talked a little bit, obviously he's Norwegian, so we talk a little bit about Scandinavia and stuff. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and then he said, do uh, you want to be a race director for the Grand Prix? Hmm. And I said, uh, pardon? <laughs> I said, do you want to be a race director for the Grand Prix? <laughs> I'm pretty happy where I am. Uh, but but uh, of course, when you ask, you know, I have to I have to think about it. And I did think about it. I did think a lot. 
because I'd been to many Grand Prix. Uh, I knew what immense pressure there could be uh, sometimes. Of course. Uh, but of course, the more you think about it, uh, you think, you know, Ole has been in this job for, I don't know how many years she'd been there then, but say 10, 12, 15, I don't know, uh, from the beginning anyway. Um, and then they asked me. Uh, and of course, I'd stood in for Ole uh, in Eskilstuna uh, one year. You know, you remember when he, he was ill, he didn't he couldn't come to a meeting. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and yeah, and that was in Eskistuna and I was I was supposed to be clerk of the course there. Um uh, but obviously when Ollie couldn't couldn't do it, uh, I had a phone call from uh, from Guy Maitre from the FIM office, which I never spoke to and never met before. Uh and he introduced himself and he explained what's happened to Ollie and he cannot travel. Uh, can you, can you be a race director? Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thrown into the pack of wolves. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but of course, you know, we like a challenge. So uh, I said, yeah, uh, let me think about it. And I call you back. And I did for about 10 minutes. And then I rang him back. I said, yeah, we do it. Uh, so, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but uh, I was uh, when they were looking for uh, for a replacement for Oli, and obviously I was one candidate. Uh, I was asked to go to Geneva for uh, for an interview, uh, which I did, uh, and I know there was also two other free candidates there, uh, uh, and. Uh, when we went back to the airport, uh, Roy Otto was there as well, and he said, oh, yeah, how long time do you need to think? Uh, I said, well, give me a couple of days. And I couldn't back down then. I was, you know, I was, now i got to do this. i got to try. i got to try. Yeah, heck yeah. Yeah, but again, like that's, what, what, a, uh, what a unique uh, thing to be involved in and, and to lead. Obviously, Oli's been there, had been there for a long time already, and and, uh, you know, I, I was on the other side of the fence, too, at that stage, too. So I'm, I'm looking at it from another angle. And you're thinking, like, it was so difficult to to negotiate or, or talk with Oli sometimes because it was sometimes you felt as a rider you had you didn't have a choice. You know, you were going to race mm-hmm. and you were, this is how it was going to be. And it was always going to take the majority of the riders to stand up when they really felt like things this is this is going to be tough today, or maybe they can fix that, or or just to discuss it. It was really hard to discuss sometimes because he was, and he knew how to get the best out of the guys and and make you feel like it's not that bad, guys. We can do this, and you would sometimes mm. you would do it knowing like I'm not sure we should be doing this. <laughs> no, no. So it's when you came in, I remember thinking about it too. Now this will be interesting because Tony's a, a he's a, a soft spoken. He's he understands the safety. He understands the conditions. Is he going to be the, is he going to be hard enough, strong enough to tell these guys like, no, it's okay. Cause you always, you're, you know how it is. You're going to get some riders are going to be a piece of cake and they, they'll ride everything and they won't have a problem with anything. And then you're going to get some guys that are just going to be bending your ear and pulling you one way and pushing you another way. <laughs> and you yeah. have to stand in the middle there and try to like, okay, listen guys, collectively, obviously I'm, I'm acting on behalf of the FIM, but I'm also, I want to be, 
assisting you to, to work together and we got to together, we can make this thing a success. But yeah. at some point you also, and I, I had, I've seen you have to do it too, to really put your foot down and guys, this is what we're doing and we're going. And usually I would say probably 99% of the time you were so correct in your, your moves and, um, and beliefs because you weren't the kind of guy that wanted to create any, any remote little bit of a, uh, concern or out of safety uh, context for the guys you wanted generally for this to be safe for everyone we don't want anybody to come away with an injury we don't want the sport to suffer we don't want the tv people to be angry at us we don't want the the governing bodies to be angry at us because of a contract or this or that there's a you have a lot on your plate being the race director there's a lot of things getting pushed and pulled from many directions so i i think you were a very successful race director yeah, it's nice to hear, and and obviously that was uh, it was my 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 aim when I came into it was obviously not to be uh, to follow in in Ollie's footstep. I wanted to do it my way, uh, and and uh, I wanted to. I, I've seen enough to know that the riders were, you know, we got to you got to give a little bit of respect uh, here and there to to gain respect uh, and i think obviously you know you, you you come into it and i was lucky enough to have a i shouldn't say an easy meetings because none of them were easy i can tell that tell you that no. uh, you, you go there and you go through all the different scenarios anything that can crop up on the on the day or the practice day and you remember when i when i i was assistant in 2009 uh, which was not very easy and then i took over from 2010 and that was just when the silences changed uh, so there was a lot of discussions about that, of course. Uh, so yeah, it was. But my my ambition was always to, like you said, to to work as a team. Uh, I always I've been racing with with a lot of you guys, and and uh, I know and I give you all the respect, and I wanted a bit of respect back in 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 a different uh, capacity, uh, and I think we. We achieved that because um, I, I don't think I had to be angry with anyone at any time. Of course, there's been discussions, uh, which would have been, it would have been very unusual if we hadn't. Uh, but you guys were also really good with me and helpful because you knew that I would listen. Uh, and okay, sometimes yeah, we had to make a decision and now we we will go or we will stop or we will whatever uh, and 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 there was good respect around that yeah i would i would uh, i would think i would agree with you on that one it was it was a welcoming uh new inspiration and for whatever reason and no disrespect to anybody or even to Oli, that sometimes you need you need a change in the monotony and let Oli focus on other things that he was obviously another thing he was very good at and that was put building tracks and mm. whether you know he brought the grand prix to the sport so i mean this the, he this dude knows what he's doing right so oh, yeah. um yeah. so having you it was like a new inspiration and it was a different it was a good change it was a good mm. um i want to say it was a, a good move for the sport 
and <clears throat> looking looking at how that that those few years that you were there uh, changed the the relationship amongst the riders and you know a lot of times we talk about having a riders union or an association that can work together so that we we can make this work but it also showed at that point if you can have a, a decent collaboration and you can get everybody working together listen this the race director wants to work with us so let's try to work this out and 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 uh, uh, make it uh, what do you want to say advantageous for both parties and keep it safe most of yeah. the, and like you said most of the time it worked well and sometimes the decision had to go one way or another but it was never it was never so dangerous or so uh, wrong for the sport in general it always worked out good with you so um yeah again i, I think that was a really good period and a, a good move for the sport yeah, and I did. Uh, I had uh, the first contract I did was for three years, uh, and and the three year, the first three years went really, really quick, uh, because obviously, my boss at Svemo gave me uh, a three year. He said, if you if you want to come back to your position with us within three years, the job is yours again. Uh, but if it goes beyond three years, you have to you have to quit working for us. Uh, and and the three years went so quick, and I thought, Jesus Christ, I must make a decision now. Oh, so, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so then I I said, yeah, okay, I will stay on with the with the Grand Prix. Uh, uh, so I did another five year contract, uh, which I then only did three years of, uh, because when it came to the end of. 14, uh, I stopped that job. Uh, and I could feel that already after 2013 that, you know, it was, I was a little bit, it wasn't so fun traveling anymore. Uh, I had been traveling a lot <laughs> throughout my career. Uh, yeah, for sure. Living living on Gotland uh, obviously added some time on the travel. Uh, I always had to leave home on a Wednesday uh, to be at the at the place wherever we were Wednesday night, so I could be at the track from Thursday morning. So it was a long day Thursday, long day Friday, including practice, and then obviously the talk to the to the track staff and stuff for getting ready for for Saturday. Saturday is a, was always a a tense day, regardless if the sun was out or if the uh, if there was rain in the in the air because <laughs> that dark cloud you know. was hanging over you, <laughs> <laughs> so you you've been to many events when the weather has been good and then all of a sudden there was downpour. <laughs> oh, uh, so you you were always on your toes. Um, so I did actually uh, finish my my job as the race director two years earlier than than my contract. Uh, which was a discussion with FIM, of course, but uh, they were they were fine with it. Uh, and by that time, I had already started working part time for Swemo again in 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 2013. Uh, so I had something to fall back on. Yeah, you you, uh, you probably felt at that stage that you knew where you were going. Huh? Things this is this is going to change. Yeah, but it's like I say, I really enjoyed the 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 year the years on the on the, with the Grand Prix and the World Cup, of course. And but like you said earlier, you're right in the middle. You're right. 
you've got the riders, you've got the FIM, and you have BSI, and obviously with TV and everything, you know what it's like doing a, a meeting that is it's not a minute schedule, it's down to seconds sometimes. Uh, and you have to try and keep on top of this. And like I said, I don't, I didn't, I don't want to change anything, but I felt pretty, I felt I'd done what I came into the Grand Prix to do. Uh, and yeah, I was, I was quite content with that. So after 2014, uh, when you won your third world title in Toro, now was time to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, that, that, that makes me feel good. <laughs> So, uh, no, it's, uh, like you say, so you, hearing everything you said there, you you go, you came out of that with uh, with no regrets again. And it sounds like your whole career and how you did everything there there is there aren't any regrets. You did everything you you set out to do and and gave you your best shot and everything and and uh, had the success to go with it. That's I mean, what more can you ask for, right? Yeah, with the with the facilities I had and uh, and uh, and. Uh, yeah. Obviously, for my racing career, and I mean, sponsorship was not so great in those days, and you have to do a lot of yourself, and uh, you had to put a lot of the money that you earned, you had to put it back into to the sport. Uh, so I, I never became a, a rich boy out of it, but uh, I enjoyed, I had a long career uh, in different ways uh, in Speedway, and like I said earlier, I'm still... Uh, still part of it uh, so I'm, I've been lucky enough to to have the opportunity to 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 go and work for the federation and obviously be part of, of track racing in that respect that's great like you said you know it's it's you, you've you've contributed massively to the sport and you've got a, a still provided you with a lot of good times and a lot of good entertainment now you're now you're you're the head the general manager of of CMO for track racing is that the correct title? Yeah, translated. Yeah, directly translated. Yeah. However, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I know you and I have, you know, even over the last few years and doing different things, and and uh, we've discussed mm -hmm. different things about Sweden and Swedish Speedway and the kids and the future, and and uh, you know, I've I always have these ideas and thoughts about Sweden being a foreign rider, but being having so much love for Swedish Speedway in the country and having, you know, I've got a, a strong tie with family, but I just like the the format and how they, they they start Speedway and the safety and everything about it. It's really tough, you know, this day to to get enough riders to, to stay involved, to have the Elite Series, the, the uh, Allsvenskan and then the Division One and, and the B teams and the kids and there's just not enough riders involved so it's it's a lot of work to try to how do you how do you bring the kids back you know that's a it's a very good question uh, and it's a big job uh, and it's a big job that is part of the responsibility of the local clubs because you have to to have to generate and you have to try and and uh, bring in the local uh, kids uh, to the sport and it's only the, the local clubs that can do that in in their region uh, and of course for us it's, it's more to try and help with with the facilities and, and stuff like that but uh, a, a lot of 
effort today obviously goes into trying to keep that elite league team uh, going uh, and keep that afloat. Uh, so we are suffering. We are suffering a lot uh, from the, from the kids' per perspective. Uh, we lost a lot of licensed riders over the last 10 years, uh, or even the last 20 years. I mean, when I was racing, there was probably over 100 uh, kids. Today, wow. we we're probably down to 30. Wow, that's a big difference. Mm. Um, we talk about it many times with the with the riders in my in my day in my years. Uh, I mean, when we did the under twenty one Swedish championship, we had four quarterfinals, two semifinals, and a final. Oh man! And today we cannot even get a, a qualifier together. Yeah, and 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 that's the scary part of this uh, <laughs> of this job or being part of it because, like you say, obviously a lot of people say, you know, what is the federation doing? What is the federation doing? And I said, yeah, but it's not just the federation. We have to do this together. And you, as part of the local club, have a big responsibility. And 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 I feel like the clubs that have a dedicated person or dedicated people to work just with the youth scheme, they are successful. Uh, but it takes to find these people uh, to, 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 to are dedicated to do it, but also give them the opportunity just to work with the kids not be the flag marshal on an elite league meeting or uh, fry hamburgers or something like that. Just because, I mean, when you have an elite league meeting or whatever, that's the best opportunity for, opportunities for them to, to, to walk around the stadium and talk to people. And when they come into the stadium, come in through the turnstiles, they are there with a tent with a little bike and some kids. And, and so, yeah, you would like to come and try this uh, on, on, the, on Saturday. And, you know, a lot of clubs do this very, very well, and they are the ones that are successful in the in the youth scheme today. And a lot of people have, or a lot of clubs have, um, are struggling uh, with with the right uh, with the right people. It's pretty interesting to hear you say that, and and um, it, that that's the that's the honest truth, huh? You do need more support and people that develop or develop or designate their time just to work with that particular area. Mm. Um, we, we saw something very similar here too. Billy Hamill put a lot of work into uh, together with Hagen shocks for a few years, devoted a lot of time, money and, and effort into developing the kids. And we saw a huge increase in, in the number of riders from yeah. 50 CC to 150 CC to the 250 cc right up into the 500s we saw this massive climb and then the whole program broke down i don't know something broke down between billy and hagen and then the whole program got shut down and the whole thing died and mm. um and uh, now it's really struggling to keep it going without having somebody there so i i feel you in that in that part and then you have this other part of it as well right um again something you and i have talked about the 
the Polish league now is so strong and they are so, uh, I'll speak on this on my, from what I think and how I see it, but they are so powerful now and they have such a strong league. They built this professional league, which is great. It's, it's really cool. It's like the, it's like football in one sense, right? They've built this massive mm-hmm. league that everybody wants to be in, but there's only enough places for, you know, a couple of handfuls, you know, and that's not, that's not that many riders that can from outside of Poland can, get in there and be in the team week in and week out you're you're in a kind of a system in a in a squad system and you're only as good as your last race most of the time so a lot of guys sign up for these and then they're also racing in england or in sweden and the clubs in poland demand that you make their their league the number one league so if they want you on tuesday which normally they don't run on tuesday but if they're running on tuesday and they want you you got to be there so then suddenly you're left leaving this club out or facing a penalty for that from Poland or facing a penalty from your Swedish club or your British club because you did it and it becomes this complete mess. And um, Speedway is only one, one of the only sports in the world, I think, that allows riders to, to have a contract in, in different leagues during the same year to ride in Poland, Sweden, England, Germany, wherever you want to go. You can actually physically do that if you can make the dates work. And there's no other sport in the world that that I know of that you can do this. Mm, so no, right. seeing now that Poland is so has got this league, I, I kind of wonder if this is a, a, a good opportunity for Sweden, the Swedish elite Syrian, and also in England, even Denmark, for these clubs now to really there's a lot of riders who can't ride in Poland because they don't have the status or the club will only hire riders and you've got to be there. So maybe they should only have enough riders to, to be in the club and race every week. The rest of the guys, they don't know if they're going to get a place in the team. So they might as well take a guaranteed spot in Poland and Sweden and a guaranteed spot in England and go race two leagues and, and let Sweden focus on building, um, doing something very similar to what Poland's doing in their own way and say, okay, now if you're riding here, you can't really ride in Poland because we need you here every week. And it's tough now, too, for the youngsters because there are a lot of young Polish riders who come to to take places in the clubs, and the young guys never really get a, a chance to get a place in the team because the junior or the number six and seven in an elite series team, due to the averages and stuff like that, you know, if, if you take a, a young... Uh, the young, what's it, the young kid there from, from Avista. Oh, that's so good. Um, uh, Philip. Philip, Philip Helstrom Banks, yes. Mm-hmm. You put him in the team and suddenly he's going up against Chris Holder or, or um, for me, for example, because mm. I had a couple of bad weeks, my average dropped and now suddenly he's got a race against me. It's a really unfair advantage mm. um, at that stage. So it's really tough for these guys to get a, a place because it's, it's so tough in the elite Syrian and, and like that. But then again, backing it down it would be great if the the al svenskan was only swedish riders however like you told me back then too we don't have enough riders so Mm. (laughs) the only way to do that is to go even further down and start from the bottom to try to develop it and hearing everything you just said there is getting guys to devote the time and designate just to work with the kids that's got to be the key that's that's really really interesting yeah, it is. It is the key, and it's a big job, uh, and it will take time. Uh, yeah. And of course, we don't really know just what this year will uh, hold for us. But 
I think we got to try and make something out of 2020. Uh, and if nothing else, maybe at least it will give uh, all the Swedish riders uh, uh, a better chance to, to be part of both the Elite League and Allsvenskan, if we get Allsvenskan started. Um, we will start Elite Serien on the 11th of August, uh, even without oh. spectators. Okay, great. I didn't yeah. know this. So, um, but of course, it will be a shortened league. Uh, there will only be, uh, you will only meet the team once, either home or away. Uh, and then there will be a, 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 a playoff with, with all eight teams. Uh, so, so there will only be half a league. Uh, but hopefully, sometime during the later stages of August, September, maybe they will allow some spectators uh, back to the stadiums for sure. Uh, at least that's what we're hoping. Oh, and due to the, the travel restrictions, of course, there will be some uh, riders not able to to do Sweden. Uh, racing behind closed doors will cost the clubs a lot of money. So they will obviously have to renegotiate uh, with the riders. Some top riders we will not see in Sweden, for sure. But it will give the opportunity for somebody else. Uh, and if 2020 at least can can uh, can do that for us, then it would be a, 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 an opportunity for, for some riders to to show that they are capable to to be part of this. It's going to be, it'll be a, that'll be interesting because it will open a few new doors and um, like you say, it might, it might set the pace or set the tone for the, the future. It may do. Uh, I mean, we, we have this International League Bureau, uh, which we've had for quite a few years now, uh, Poland, Sweden, Denmark, England, and now France and Germany and Czech is part of it as well. Uh, but of course, it's a focus on the on the big four leagues. Uh, and we have we have done a lot. We have come a long way. We got these priority days for each country now and so on. Uh, so it does work better. But like you say, Poland are the top league. They are strong. They are they have a success, successful business, uh, big TV deals. Uh, and of course, they are demanding more and more. Um, of course. And, and you remember a couple of years ago when when Poland wanted riders to choose, they could only do one league and so on, or, and he ended up with two. Uh, today is open, but maybe maybe the future is one league, or one league in Poland. If you want, if you do Poland top league in Poland, that's where you go. You are like a footballer. You go there, you train with your team, you you play your matches in in, in Poland, uh, which would also give the opportunity to other foreign riders to learn the trade in a different country. Just like when we came to England. Well, I want, I've been wondering this for a while, if it, if it could end up turning out this way and... Uh... You know, with Poland, as long as the it continues to become lucrative and they're, they're they're not pushing the financial contracts down so far that 
riders decide they don't want to be there because it's the demand is the risk versus the reward doesn't add up, you know? Mm. So um, that could also be the difference is because um, they, they are, they are taking a lot away from, and, and the, I, I think that the, the wages are not the same as they were in many cases, sadly, but you know, they got to run a business. However, the demand that they want, it definitely makes you question the risk versus reward. So where are they going to go with that? Unless you've got good sponsors or you have a separate deal. Um, I, I see that league could be massive, you know, and I really like what they're doing. I just, I just question sometimes the authority that it, it becomes such a push that they, mm. they, they, they put a lot of pressure, unnecessary pressure on the demand uh, for non-performance or something going wrong or being injured or being sick or, I mean, it could be anything, right? So I, I think it could be, it's a, it's a good, it's a good time. They'll, they'll continue to grow and I'm sure that league will get better. Maybe they have to go through this trial period to get everything where they want it. And then it's just going to go even bigger. But, um, I think this is a really good period for Sweden and England and, and Denmark to start to regroup and, and, um, bring on the new talent for the future and make the, the leagues big again. It's, I, I, I see it's positive in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I mean, obviously, Poland are putting a lot of demands on, on their riders, and uh, rightly or wrongly, but they, they, they put a lot of pressure on them. Uh, if you don't perform, you like I said, you're, not, you're only as good as your last race. Uh, mm -hmm. But if they, had, if they had more riders that were just dedicated to, to do Poland, uh, maybe that would ease it a little bit. Uh, of course, we would then have to be prepared to lose. Yeah, like we have lost Fredrik Lindgren to to Poland this year. Uh, he is not part of the Swedish league, um, and and maybe we would have to lose somebody else as well. Uh, but that that's a that's something you have to put in this weighing uh, uh, baskets, you know, to see. Of course, we would like to have the top Swedish riders in our top league. Uh, mm. But if this is what it takes for a couple of years, because everything goes up and down, and if this sure. is the right time now to, to do something different, maybe that's uh, what we should do. Uh, I think it's a good, it's a, a good system. And like you said, it might be like that. And, and, uh, Sadly, everybody is replaceable, right? So uh, it, it might take a little bit of time in order to get those new stars. But And maybe eventually those new stars come up and then they, they leave Sweden. They go to Poland anyway. But there's always mm -hmm. going to be there's always going to be this natural progression of guys behind them that, that want that spot. So yeah. uh, I think this could be, I don't know, I, I, I really believe in it. And I think uh, not to make anything of this negative, making this all positive, and Poland will grow, Sweden will grow, England will grow, they, all the leagues will grow. And I like to hear, I like to hear how you how you put it there. I think it's great. I mean, obviously, that's something we've been talking a lot in this uh, in this league league bureau as well, because today it's the same sort of riders. They they go. The top riders, obviously, they in Poland. Some of them are also in Sweden. Some of them are also in Denmark on the way back from Sweden on a Wednesday. So it suits their route. Uh, so, so they're taking up a lot of team spots 
that could be dedicated to another up-and-coming home rider or another up-and-coming foreign rider that needs the, the experience uh, for them to, to learn uh, and get better. Because mm-hmm. now it's it's very closed shop. It's hard to get into the top. If you look outside the, the Grand Prix riders, I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy to... to um, to get yourself into that group. That's so true. It's really, really hard oh, wow. to, to become a GP rider these days. And uh, yeah, and I think, I think even that, like you say, this whole system is, is could start to change even for that, the way it's going. Um, mm. It'd be interesting to see what happens in, in after next year too, with BSI's final year. And yeah. What happens yeah. with the Eurosport deal and, yeah, we obviously there's a lot of new things that are going to come into play, and um, which creates a whole new outlook on the sport. And of course, we don't know what um, what effect this COVID nineteen uh, will have had on the the clubs, uh, the finances of the clubs. Uh, how many riders have have we lost because they haven't had the opportunity to race? Uh, or, or at least race as much. Some of them may have got full-time employment. Uh, maybe they find a different life to, to Speedway. Uh, yeah. it's, it's all these different things that we, we don't know about, and, and it could hit us really hard next year. Uh, I think this 2020 will be a bad year, but we haven't seen the 2021 yet. No. Lots going to happen, right? And there's, for sure, that's going to be an, uh, an interesting follow-up. How long is, what's going to be the, the everlasting uh, effect of, of COVID-19 and how long is it really going to affect? And it's like the world's going into a refresh mode, you know? It's like re- restart and we'll, uh, we will have to wait and see. Yeah. We don't have the, we don't have any answers to that just yet. No, that's right. I, I, again, it's it's just positive to hear that you guys are going to try to run at least a, a minimized league, uh, starting in August. There, I think I think that's great, and it gives people something to see. And and um, we had hopes of coming to Sweden this year and spending a little bit of time during the summer while the kids were out of school. But due to the travel restrictions, it looks like that won't be possible. Mm. Uh, sadly, and which is a bummer because we haven't even we haven't ourselves haven't been in Sweden for a year and a half now. Uh, since Jenny's diagnosis and now she's doing well and and coming out of all this and we're like we're ready to go travel and and see everybody in Sweden and like take care of our property and stuff and we're like oh now we can't even go anywhere (laughs) no no so uh, Uh, it's good to hear Jenny is doing uh, is doing uh, well Uh, it's really nice yeah thank you she's doing great and uh, I think this having the midsummer that just went by and we did it in fine Swedish form fashion and built our own midsummer stong and <laughs> me and all that me and it was me and a, a French guy, a South African guy and another American that built the midsummer stong. So there was no Swedes involved in building this. <laughs> so we, we had to build it off our own knowledge and, you know, look at a couple of photos to make sure we didn't do anything wrong, but it came out really, really good. I believe you. The only thing we were missing was a little bit of the 
Okay. <laughs> no snaps. Oh dear. No, they weren't. It wasn't possible to find any Swedish snaps in our area, so uh, we had to stick uh, with beer and wine. You have Jägermeister in America, don't you? Oh yeah, Jägermeister. I think our buddy from South Africa, he he dove into uh, what what we had left of the vodka too. He made the use <laughs> out of that. <laughs> so uh, now it's good. It's good. You got to make yeah. the most of it. We sure did. And um, well, I I think uh, for me, I, I I really enjoyed having having you on the the podcast, Tony. And I thank you for giving so much time. And we've talked about trying to put this together for quite a few weeks now. So I'm happy that um, you were able and willing to do it too. And yeah. Thank you again. Thank you for asking. It's my pleasure. I, I look forward to seeing what people get out of this too. And, um, you know, it's, it's fun to talk to someone like you who I have a, a past with and then a present period of my career with too. And we, we can share in so many realistic uh, things with the sport. So, uh, I can't wait to sit down and talk about more of it in the future face-to-face rather than being so far away. Yeah, that would be nice. It would be nice. Absolutely. Well, Tony, give give our best to to, uh, to Jane and the kids. And you guys, you, you have, a, uh, have a have a great rest of the summer. I, I wish you guys all the luck in the world with with the future plans. And, you know, I'm always here if, if I can offer a piece of – of opinions or whatever, but uh, I'm a big fan of Swedish Speedway. I want to see it succeed, so I uh, I hope to to follow that as it comes. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great if we can get something get something moving somehow. Uh, we get this uh, year out of the way, and we try and work for the future. You got it. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining the Real Forty Five podcast, Tony. And uh, I want to thank everybody here for listening. We'll see you next time on the next episode. And all I can say is uh, remember, grin to win and be good humans out there. So ciao for now. Thanks again, Tony. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.